Welcome to Bourbon and Badges, the podcast coming to you from Studio 77. Where we at, B-Dub? Studio 77. Gastonia, North Carolina. <laughs> Helm Dog's with us. Hey, Slow. How y'all doing? What's up? Who do we have in here with us, brother? We are getting ourselves really dignified. We have the sitting Gaston County District Attorney, Travis Page, with us in the studio tonight. Well, if this is dignified, I'm not sure. (laughs) Travis, you cost me $10. I bet $10 $10 you wouldn't show up. (laughs) Barry paid me $15 to be here. That's right. I ain't going to lose a bet. No, and let's clarify, he did not pay me that. (laughs) Well, we really appreciate you being here, and you are the DA of Gaston County. The yes. DA. Yes, sir. And, yes, sir. Yeah. Kind of like uh, classing up the joint. So do we call you Your Honor or something like that? <laughs> no. Uh, only on the Christmas card do you, the, uh, uh, the Honorable Travis Page. But uh, <laughs> um, but no, I'm happy to serve as district attorney here in Gaston County. It's a, a dream job for me. Oh, cool, man. We're glad you're doing it. Probably a busy job for you. Very busy, but... It, I still manage to have enough time to sit around and talk with you guys. Yeah, man, we appreciate it. Yeah, we appreciate it. I tell you, prior, we try to look up our guests before getting you, you've got a lot of positive things out there. Yeah. I've uh, had to bribe a lot of people to yeah. say those positive <laughs> things, but uh, so far it seems to be working. Well, we appreciate you being here. Hound Dog, what are we drinking? We're drinking Weldon Mills Select. It's Weldon Mills out of Weldon Mills, North Carolina. And, and most people may know them from Horses Cut. A soldier's cut. Horse's cut. Horse's cut. I was thinking well, horse soldier. Yes, yeah, soldier's cut. Soldier's cut. And I've never had this particular pour. It's, I'm looking forward to it, actually. Yeah, somewhat secretive. I couldn't find anything on it at all. Though. Yeah, I couldn't either. It's this there. I do know it's their premium uh, bourbon. Well, i tell you, uh, Travis, have you ever had the soldier's cut? I have not. I, and to be honest, I've never heard of Weldon, North Carolina. So uh, that would be my vote. question for you. It's I know it's not in my jurisdiction. <laughs> yeah, uh, up on, out by the coast, right? Yeah, the coast. North northeast is kind of near the Tennessee border, I believe. Uh, a couple coast. retired uh, Fort Bragg soldiers started it. They retired nice. and yeah. started it. Yeah. Oh wow! Well, good. I'm looking forward to. It. Yeah, and the soldiers cut. It has malted wheat in it. I wonder if this has any malted wheat. It says it does. Oh, good deal. It's quite quite improved the taste. Not improved the taste, but it's really different taste, which is good from the uh, soldier's cut. Yeah, I don't know much, like I said, I don't know much about it, but it says on the back of it, we hope you enjoy our premium bourbon. Uh, our master distiller has combined wheat, malted wheat, I mean malted barley, and corn. So... And water from the roof. I can't see it. My glasses ain't. <laughs> That's okay. We all got reading glasses. <laughs> Give me uh, long enough in this job, and, and I'll have some yeah. myself. Yeah, Hound oh. Dog is it's only an hour show, brother. Hey, come on, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't study. It's all right. But it's aged for at least seven months. So it's For at least I, seven months. Yeah, it's awfully dark for seven it's months. It's really dark for a seven-month-old bourbon. No, maybe let's put stage or something in there. I don't know. I don't know. But... Hey, I didn't even need sound effect for that. That's no, pretty good. Sounding All right. Good. All right. Glasses, Travis. All right, Travis, normally what we do is we'll do a uh, a, a, a light pour. Let's set for a second, then we'll nose it. How's that? Looks good. And then we'll uh, – there's no wrong answer. Just say what we get on the nose of it, and then we'll do a taste and rate it. You guys are fancy. Man, we'll get we'll get the business out of out of out of the way. Is this the wine and badges? Yeah. Podcast? <laughs> <laughs> 
Sometimes it's the whiny back of the podcast. <laughs> Thank you there, Helm. He's referring to our Glenn and Karen glasses that we use. Oh, time. man, that smells really good. That's cinnamon right on the nose. Cinnamon? Pops. Cinnamon. Cinnamon? Sure does. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, I get that, too. That smells like cinnamon. Cinnamon Sam? Cinnamon Sam. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I can smell it even though I got a head cold. Oh, yeah, B-Dub showed up all hacking and oh, slinging snot. I don't have the Ruru, though. Don't worry, I don't have Ruru. I haven't seen your, your passport yet. So. <laughs> yeah, I don't have it. You start doing temperatures at the front door or something. I feel good. I mean, it's got a head cold. This opened me up, though, hopefully. Well, I tell you, Trust, we're trying to get B-Dub to uh, do a shot of, what, 126 proof? Yeah. Just to just open him up, but he wouldn't do it. Maybe this will. What proof is this again? This is what is it? Ninety four proof. It's close enough. On the bottle, on the uh, bottle, it's got the a uh, seventy forty seven percent alcohol, ninety four proof. Bottle number two eighty one from batch number six. Oh, I'm gonna ask you if it's batch number six. It was man. Was can, it? can you tell the difference? I'm gonna have to taste it first. Okay. But that's but really it, clean, man. Like I say, a lot of cinnamon on the nose. But on the side note, it also has a uh, little tag on it where this is voted the best micro distillery in the United States. Oh, by whom? Huh? By who? The people that voted. <laughs> the people that <laughs> we're the best in the United States. Hey, we're the best podcast in the United States team. We are. We all we all three voted. Yep. I don't know who voted, but that's what the little tag says. All right. Now, now, set for me. I'm getting a little bit of the wheat. In <clears throat> the wheat, the sweetness of the wheat. Yeah, but it's just a lot of cinnamon. Yeah. Uh, that's cinnamon to me. Very smooth at the start. Now, don't come in here talking like knowing what you're talking about. You're not going to fit in if you actually know what you're talking about, Travis. You're going to make us look bad. <laughs> look, I can, I, I'm a wordsmith. I can talk about Bush Light if you want me to. Oh, so. You got me. <laughs> yeah. You, know, that's funny. you certainly are, you know, being the DA. I mean, you, you, you work within the bounds of the law. Right. But in reality, you're, you're a salesman and you're selling justice. Yeah, justice to the jury. Like that's right. That. Yeah. I like that. It's the seller of justice. That is good. Yeah, I like it. I like it. <clears throat> Do you? Mm-hmm. I get a little bit. Of, I get the uh, sweetness from the the uh, on the back end. We, we just, of course, we just taste it on the back end. I'm on the finish. I'm getting sm- smoke. Yeah, I barbecue get, maybe. I don't get barbecue. Uh, get a smoky taste, but it's got a uh, kind of like a starts out cinnamon, cinnamon, flavor. cinnamon. Then it goes from that to maybe a sweet. Little sweet hint of sweetness. I tell you what, the mills they they do a good job. They they, they they're outside the box. I think outside the box on yeah. what they're doing. Yep. Yeah, a like lot it. of smoke on the back end. Yeah, I'm tasting the smoke as well. Yeah. Yeah, like it. it's not the, it's not smoky berry. They just <laughs> taste just the look, smoke. I'm just looking at it. Can I not look at you? Can, this is my chair. I can do what I want to do. <laughs> All right. This is my space. So, when did you start feeling bad, B-Dub? I don't want to say because y'all make me get my COVID passport, I think, five days ago. Really? And you still all hacky and... Well, not as bad, but I'm taking antibiotics, so I'm pulling out of it. This will help me. There you go. I'm not coughing too bad. If I do, y'all run me out. I feel mighty special for you to break your quarantine to come talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you won't be if you get sick. Yeah, Barry. <laughs> thanks for sharing. <laughs> I don't have it. Barry, do you have an unwrapped uh, 
Yeah. Why is it unwrapped on but, the table? Because I was tasting this. He took it out of his mouth, I, laid it no, on the table. It's going to be sticky now. No, we'll it's not to sticky. This has not been tested. in my mouth. It's spreading as COVID. I got the, um, the wrapper. And you're here. actually showing Hound Dog, for the listeners, you're showing him the unwrapped. Let me put it on my first paper. Lodginger. I'm sorry, Dad. <laughs> but I didn't want to start coughing. Why would I don't want to? Well, no, you know, with the DA coming, I actually cleaned up the. The uh, studio, so yeah, it, it should be. Um, Let me put it on this. I'll put it back on. This. I'm sorry. Should yeah. taste like lemon pledge now. <laughs> I'm sorry. Don't make, <laughs> me, don't make me laugh. I will start coughing. Hang on a minute. I get a little bit of spice on the back end as well. A little bit. I wouldn't know where that would come from because it don't have any rye in it. Don't think. Do we don't? But we don't know well, what the mash bill is. But we don't know. Mm-hmm. All right. Do we want to read it? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. Go ahead. That's what do you think, man? Let's see if I, if I'm familiar with your scale. A seven is a daily drinker, right? It is zero to ten. Yep, zero. It sucks. Probably gonna say a five point eight. Okay. Oh, five point eight. Look at that. We know. There, there goes Hound Dog's math. Look at him. <laughs> <laughs> five point eight. That's why we got that calculator. I got quick fingers. I'm gonna do an even number. Six. Right. Really? Yeah, I'm gonna go with six. Slow. I'm sitting writing things down. We're doing it. Yeah, I'm, I'm telling you, this is going to be uh, surprising. I'm going to give it a seven. There you go. Wow. Normally, I'm the low rater out he of us, us three. I'm giving it a seven as well. I like the uniqueness wow. of it. I mean, you know, is it uh, cinnamon? Yeah, I, mean, it's, I, it's like the, uh, I like about everything from Weldon Mills. I like it. Yeah. And Travis, normally, uh, Hound Dog's a sweet wheat guy. Mm-hmm. I'm more of a traditional barrel bourbon guy. Right. And of course, you're sharing. You're sitting in Buck's seat, and you said you are a rye, a rye fan. I prefer rye, yes, sir. Cool. And, and B Dub likes Coke. No, <laughs> Coca Cola. No, that's Sprite Zero. Matter of fact, <laughs> Sprite Zero. I'm sorry. A splash of Jack. That's right here. It's six point four five. So not a daily drinker. Nope. I don't think I'll consider it a daily drinker. So, so much for the Wellman Mills endorsement. Yeah, I, I think that <laughs> went out the window tonight. North Carolina, hey, uh, and I, I tell you. We first got the uh, soldiers cut. I uh, I messaged the Weldon Mills, and a guy messaged me back, and he said, "Hey, you got a minute to talk?" I said, "Yeah." So he shot me a phone number, and it was, it was one of the owners. And we talked top forty five minutes, just as laid back as he could be. Man, it's really that's cool, nice. Yeah, yeah. he won't be calling you now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, who is Travis Page? That's a great question, and uh, so I'll tell you a little little bit about myself. Uh, I grew up in Cherville, or Cherville, Terrible, as you might Terrible, say, um, and grew up uh, there to uh, two loving parents, and uh, Gene and Gail Page. My dad, he worked in the mills as a textile guy. We did too. Worked uh, Duran and Esther. Uh, and then finished up uh, before he passed away. He was working at Far Yarn there in McCadville. Oh, cool! And so, um, my mother she worked for Carolina Freight. Uh, her dad was a truck driver, Carolina Freight, um, uh, there in Terrible. And when Carolina Freight closed its doors, she worked a little bit for the Soil and Water Conservation Office there in Shelby, and uh, then took a job with the county police. And that's a good part of my story. How I ended up coming to work for the district attorney's office in Gaston County as assistant DA and then later becoming DA. So, but, uh, um, 
you know, I, I would say I was pretty blessed to grow up or have the upbringing that I did. Yeah. Uh, just an average Gaston County family, I, I'd say, you know, ties to textiles and oh, yeah. ties oh, yeah. to Carolina Freight. It couldn't be more terrible than that. I grew up playing baseball. I think I, I started when I was five years old or so playing baseball. I gave it up around the age of 12 because I wasn't. That wasn't my strong suit. Got tired uh, of being a base. Uh, I did. <laughs> Travis needs yeah. to play third. Yeah. <laughs> need to lay just, down the just door. Lay down. <laughs> yeah, off the bench. I played a little shortstop and and I pitched some and uh, I caught, played first base. I was kind of a utility guy, but um, I was probably the skinniest kid in in Cherville schools growing up, and uh, still one of the skinniest kids coming out of Cherville, <laughs> but. I'm working on that. I'm happily married. I've got a wife, uh, Melissa. We live in Belmont now. She works in Charlotte, and so Belmont's a good um, middle-of-the-road place for us yeah, and for yeah. our family. I work in Gastonia. She's in Charlotte, um, so that helps with our commute in the morning. We've got two kids. We've got a four-year-old daughter, uh, Maddie, and a three-year-old son, Harrison. We call him Huck, and he lives up to the name Huck Finn. He's <laughs> as wild as can be, so... I'll probably be prosecuting him one day or asking yeah. Spencer Merriweather to come over and prosecute him. So, um, but no, we, we're very blessed right now. And, uh, it's been an exciting year, um, since taking his job. You know, there was a, a while where I never could have imagined that I'd be in this role or this position. Like I said earlier, it's kind of a dream job. Yeah. And that's so, kind of question I had, you know, at what point you're sitting around the house, you know what? I think I want to be an attorney. Yeah, that's what that's the question. How does that come about? So, uh, funny question, sorry. Um, I grew up again in Cherville. I always I like dinosaurs and I like digging for. Oh, that's why you're on a podcast with us, <laughs> right? Yeah, the three yeah, of us. Yeah, really, just natural attraction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but no, I grew up. I I love dinosaurs growing up, and and actually I like looking for Indian arrowheads, and so I, I always told folks I was going to be an archaeologist, right. and then. Uh, as I got into high school, um, I liked physics. Um, I was a huge NASCAR fan, still am. Big Dale Senior, Dale Junior fan. That's right. That's and, yeah, one of the oh, one of the few That's times right. I actually ever saw my dad cry uh, before he was diagnosed with cancer was when Dale Senior passed away. Oh yeah, February eighteenth, two thousand one. Oh jeez. So we got uh, a, we got a side story about that. Yeah, whatever. We'll, we'll, we'll tell it off. I'll get prosecuted for that. Well, yeah. With that being said, though, I bet everybody at this table knows where you are the day that happened. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I had a sinus infection. I was in Cherville, Carolina. Was number one in the country. We played at Clemson, and a huge Carolina fan. And uh, I remember Carolina lost to Little John to Clemson that day. I was in the doctor's office, and we we came out, and uh, uh, we were at the First Wesleyan Church in Cherville when I found out. Wow! But yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, but anyways, um, so I was in eleventh grade English, and I had a friend. Uh, his name was Brent, and uh, if you ever watched Little uh, or Leave It to Beaver. Brent was kind of the, the Eddie Haskell. That's oh, what, really? family, what I would say. <laughs> and so I'll give a shout out to Brent. He's a good friend of mine. He actually just moved back to North Carolina. So very happy about that. Oh, good deal, man. But, um, but anyways, we were in 11th grade English, Miss Mooney's class. And Brent comes in one day and he says, you know, I figured out what I want to do. I want to go to such and such school. I want to study political science and I want to go to law school. I said, you know, wow, that sounds like a, a pretty good plan. And and my uncle Ben, uh, Ben Blackburn, uh, former city manager in Cherville, uh, city manager in Lowell, um, he actually worked in the DA's office in Watauga County. And so I had some experience. Where, you know, he would take me to to work with him 
take me by the vending machines, take me into the courtrooms, introduce me to the judges, that sort of thing. And so courtroom was kind of a special place for me or the courthouse was. And, uh, but anyways, I said, you know what, that sounds like a plan. And, and so I went to Appalachian, um, in the fall of 2002, thinking that I would either study physics and uh, become an engineer, work for a NASCAR team, or I would study political science. And as fate, divine intervention, whatever you want to call it, would have it, I actually I missed the physics department orientation meeting, made it to the political science meeting. And political science, pre-law, that just kind of seemed the path of least least resistance from there. And so I was familiar cool. with where the classes were. And and to be honest, growing up in Cherville, um, all the conversations around my grandparents' dinner table about politics, church gossip, government, that sort of thing, it was kind of a natural fit. You know, I grew up listening to all of that. And so the uh, family was very conservative growing up, conservative Republicans. Um, and so... Um, they kind of instilled that in me as well. And so, well, you're you fitting right in here then, brother. I'm telling there you. There we yeah. go. Yeah. There right we go. Home. You're at home. Yeah. Yeah. Good deal. Uh, amongst friends. That's nice. Um, but anyways, you know, politics, pre-law, that kind of thing was a natural thing. And so I took a lot of pre-law classes at app, had some great relationships with professors there. Loved my time in Boone, uh, football team was excellent. My, my senior year in Appalachian, uh, was the first of the three consecutive national championships. So that oh, was pretty cool. Yeah, I bet that was. Yeah, I was actually working at Food Line the night we uh, won the first of those three. I was a bagger and cashier there at the Food Line in Boone. And you want to talk about a bad job. You, you know, <laughs> uh, being district attorney in Gaston County, getting called out in the middle of the night to homicides and that sort of thing and, and dealing with the public pressures and all of that. You know, there's nothing like pushing shopping carts in a parking lot in uh, 15 degree weather through <laughs> snow and ice and all of that. And then everyone tracking in mud and, oh, and all yeah. this sludge. Build the rage. Yeah, absolutely. And somebody so, leave that bucket buggy at the farthest point. They won't bring it back. <laughs> and the worst part about that, B-Dub, was when uh, that buggy would end up with those boon winds coming down off the mountain, oh. blowing that that particular buggy into the side of your Honda Accord. Oh, so, yeah, that, yeah. So... Uh, I always return my shopping cart after that job. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. And I'll fuss at my wife, too, if she doesn't put back an item in the proper place on a shelf, too. I said, Label, you, label's going to be facing out. That's right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Box no, them. No. Yeah, I'm just right trying to be considerate. But, yeah. but yeah, I worked at Food Line. I always worked a part-time job when I was in school. Uh, and then uh, and I remember in March of 2006, right before graduation, I got that letter from Carolina uh, from Chapel Hill. Um, that I'd been admitted into law school there, and I knew that was kind of life-changing for me and, and uh, very excited about that. I remember hooting and hollering all through the, the post office there in Boone and uh, maybe celebrating a little bit there in Boone oh, that night. But Good for you, man. Yeah, uh, really. But very excited about that. Went to Carolina for law school. Grew up at Tar Hill, uh, also a mountaineer, but, but grew up really – pulling for Carolina athletics. And so getting to be in Chapel Hill for three years, watching Tyler Hansbrough win a national championship oh, yeah. my last year mm -hmm. in law school, that was pretty cool. Yeah. A very cool experience. And uh, law school, I, I met a lot of folks throughout the state. Um, you know, there are some judges, some some politicians that I met and, and had classes with. Um, 
some that may end up being the president of the United States one day. Who knows? Oh, but that's cool. Uh, and you finally made it to our plot. I sure did. Your way. You are welcome. I made it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but no. So in 2009, I graduated from law school. And uh, but uh, take it back a little bit. I went to law school. I've got kind of a laid back personality. I like to get along with folks. I like it when kind of avoid confrontation when I can. And so I went to law school thinking that I would always... That's your job. <laughs> I'll get to it. All right. Absolutely. I'll get to it. Um, but he, here's the thing. So I went to law school with that mindset and I always thought I'd be you know, a transactional lawyer. I'd sit behind a desk and uh, maybe do real estate closings, wills, and that sort of thing. But I, didn't, I wasn't really sure that's what I wanted to do. And um, the second is after the second year of law school, right before my third year, um, I had an opportunity to intern with the district attorney's office in Wake County. Colin Willoughby, a longtime prosecutor there, probably one of the best district attorneys that's ever been DA in the state of North Carolina as far as integrity, ethics, abilities as a trial lawyer. Uh, I mean, he's the gold standard as far as I'm concerned. Um, so they had a wonderful intern program there. It was eight weeks. I remember my very first day, they had me in a district court courtroom there in Wake County. And... I tried my first case, and you would have thought I tried a, a capital murder, <laughs> but it was a seatbelt. Oh, cool, man. Yeah, seatbelt violation. The guy admitted on the stand, uh, the defendant did, to not wearing a seatbelt properly. And and I remember hooting and hollering all through the hallways of the Wake County Courthouse. <laughs> after that. And, and from that moment, to be, to be honest, I was kind of hooked. I never thought I would be a trial lawyer. Yeah. And, uh, but I enjoyed it. I was I was hooked, uh, hooked line and sinker. Um, so that summer, by the end of the summer, eight weeks, I tried thirty two cases. Um, I had pretty much gotten to the ability where I could run a courtroom by myself. And this was second year law student before passing the bar, before graduating from law school. Um, I was confident enough in my abilities to where I I felt comfortable running a courtroom. And so, anyways. Fast forward, go through my 3L year there at Carolina, finish up, graduate. Right around the time I graduated, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. Oh, no. And Man, so, sorry, brother. Yeah. Rare form of bone cancer. Um, you know, it was one of those diagnoses where, um, you know, we're a very faithful family, and, and so we had faith that things would work out. But it's one of those diagnoses that you don't want to hear, the two words with, with cancer, rare and aggressive. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's the two two worst things you can hear. Um, but anyways, that summer, uh, took the bar exam. I treated it like a job, uh, from eight to five studied every day mm -hmm. at five o'clock. I'd turn off the books. I'd, I'd go out to eat or, or do this or that, put on a movie, kind of let my uh, brain recharge that sort of thing. Um, but I knew that at the end of the summer, I, my dad's birthday was around the end of August. And so August 30th, and that was around the same time that the bar results would come out. And so, uh, that was my birthday gift to my dad yeah. um, cool, that year in 2009. That was a pretty cool yeah. moment I'll always forget. But uh, when I passed the, the bar, um, that was around the fall then of 2009. Um, got a call about a month or so later from Colin Willoughby himself, offered me a job to come work there in Wake County as assistant DA. And so did so that. That seatbelt helped you out. Yeah. Sure did. I, I, you know, I, they were talking about that seatbelt trial for for years. Uh, but 
but no, I, I'd made some good relationships there and, and I think I'd proven, um, my abilities and, um, and I think my personality was a good fit for that office. And, um, they offered me an opportunity to start my career as a lawyer. And so, um, I think it was maybe October 26th that I was sworn in as assistant DA in 2009 there in Wake County. Yeah. And, cool deal. Yeah, yeah. Cool. But, um, so I, for a year and three days, exactly. I was a prosecutor in Wake County. Uh, I was in district court, so I handled anything from those seatbelt infractions to to DWIs. I probably tried several hundred DWIs there in the course of a year. And uh, but um, around the end of or middle of 2010, my dad's health was kind of on the down slope there. And uh, I remember one particular morning; it was actually August 30th. It was his birthday, and he had an appointment uh, with his oncologist to see. Uh, you know, if there was a chance that this experimental treatment had worked. And so um, I told Judge Knox, who was Jesse Helms' granddaughter there oh, in Wake County, cool. uh, I told her, I said, look, I'd like to take a recess at 10 o'clock. And so that was the time that my dad had his appointment at mm-hmm. 10 o'clock. And so we were going to get kind of the, the make or break news, you know. Yeah. And uh, so at 10 o'clock, I, I left the courtroom, went back to my office, got down on my hands and knees there with my door closed there in my office. And I said, you know, dear Lord, you know, if if you can do anything, either give me a chance to come back home or heal my dad. And so, uh, you know, three days later, my mom at that time was um, working for the County police uh, chief, Bill Farley. Yeah. there. Mm -hmm. Yep. And uh, he was a great boss uh, to mom. And uh, he happened to, you know, there had been some talk about maybe me trying to come back home, but um, he had actually run into Locke Bell at the courthouse, and Locke, a chief just asked him, said, hey, you got a, an open position? And chief, or Locke said, yeah, yeah, I actually do. And he said, well, I've got somebody that would be, you know, a catch. And he said, well, give me a resume. And sure enough, three days later, uh, after lifting up that prayer there in my office, I'm being asked to send a resume down to Gaston County. Yeah, and, good deal. Excellent. And so I met Locke there at home, folks, in Cherville, mm-hmm. and uh, we had breakfast, um, and he offered me a job. And uh, um, I was able to start back here in Gaston <laughs> County as assistant DA in November, uh, November 1st, 2010. And so by that time, my dad had actually passed away. Um, but, you know, I got to come home. My brother was home from school. I was home. Um, and we were there in Cherville with mom. And so it was a good kind of chance for us to heal together as a family. Yeah, and right, yeah absolutely. And it got me back home. And, uh, and so, you know, talk about things happening for a reason. Um, you know, if my dad were still around, there's no telling where I'd be. I might be in Wake County or, you know, as assistant DAs there with a firm or a judge or who knows, but, um, this is the community that I feel tied to. And, and this is, kind of the place that raised me and i kind of want to yeah get back, came to back home this is yeah. home this is yeah. home and absolutely. we're glad you're here brother i've yeah, heard yeah. nothing but great things about you i know good absolutely now good. if we all were still sworn law enforcement officers you you would know barry and myself b-dub myself i don't know if you ever met reggie <laughs> <laughs> i might have went to court once yeah. <laughs> as a witness yeah. as a witness uh, no prosecuting witness no officer dismissed <laughs> But uh, oh. now I remember Barry. Uh, I remember Barry working a good bit when I was assistant DA, 
And, and so I was assistant DA here in Gaston County from November 2010 till I think it was July 30th or so, uh, 2012. And uh, Doug Arthurs, who is famously known as the Bulldog here in Gaston County, uh, he had been taking me to lunch, you could say courting me or whatever, but uh, talking to me about coming to his practice. And um, I never practiced in civil law or anything like that. Everything that I knew was criminal as a prosecutor, and uh, that was my sole experience. And uh, so I, I rolled the dice, and uh, some folks um, in the bar had, had told me some judges and other folks said that, that you know that would be the best thing you could ever do is to go to work for Doug. And and it really was. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, I learned more about being a lawyer. I learned more about being a, a husband, a father, all of those things. And in a lot of ways, Doug kind of filled a void in my life. Oh, that's cool. And man. Uh, very cool. I think the world of him and, uh, um, you know, someday he's going to retire at some point and uh, there'll be a huge void here in Gastonia in the legal profession. But, um, I handled private practice. I was there for nine years. I handled everything from criminal defense and DWI defense, felony defense. I represented a few noteworthy folks that were in the papers. Um, but then I did a lot of civil litigation, estate work, that sort of thing. And so I kind of had a healthy practice. There was one thing I told Doug. I said, I will not do um, if I come to work for you. And that's domestic. I don't want to do divorces and child custody and that sort of thing. And he kept his word. He, you know, he was a man of word of his word. And I never had to do any of that, thankfully. So, so being in a private practice, did that make you, did that set the stage for you to be a better DA? I think so. Absolutely. And so, um, you know, I think the best prosecutors and the best lawyers in general are the lawyers that have the ability to see the other side yeah, and see it from a different perspective and, and not just the cases themselves, but maybe the process of getting a case to court. Um, mm-hmm. And so you have a, a more fair understanding of everything that goes on behind the scenes, not necessarily with law enforcement, but also not, or not just with law enforcement and the investigative side, but also on the, on the private practice, the attorney side of it, as far as getting someone into the office, being able to talk with them about their case and realizing the challenges and the limitations that you might have there. Um, but um, no, I think that experience, I think it makes for a better judge. It makes for a better prosecutor, a better lawyer. And I think, you know, I think you guys would say that from a law enforcement yeah, perspective, absolutely. having experience working for, for different agencies. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, absolutely. You know, seeing how different folks practice law, I think is a huge benefit. Yeah, it is. That is excellent. Hey, we'll be right back after this. Hello, I'm Don Roper, candidate for Gaston County Sheriff. I'm a Christian conservative Republican, and I would appreciate your vote in the Republican primary coming up in May. I believe we should conduct independent research when choosing a candidate for office. I look at the person's record and past actions when making my decision. That's why I would like to invite you to go to my webpage at DonRoper.com to learn more about me and my campaign. I believe you'll find I have the experience, foundation, reputation, maturity, and work ethic to serve as your next sheriff. The Office of Sheriff of Gaston County is an important public safety position. That's why you need a candidate that's ready to serve on day one. I have the resume that's fully developed with the training and experience of leading during the most trying times. 
My experience is built from being in the field doing the hard work, not from an office. Thank you for your support. I look forward to serving you as your next sheriff. This ad was paid for by friends of Don Roper. So how big of a transition is it from assistant DA to the DA? To the boss. Huge. <laughs> and did you ever have those moments you know, you're standing there thinking as assistant DA, you know, well, if I was DA, I would do this. I would have done this. Or I, <laughs> absolutely. Shot yeah, shot absolutely. And uh, now I, I'll talk about my predecessor. Um, you know, he was my boss, Locke Bell. Um, he was a good boss to me, you know. Um, he was kind. He would listen to you. Um, and he gave you the ability, as far as discretion, to do what – you know, he believed in hiring good people, letting them do what they thought was right. Now, some offices across the state, you have very rigid policies uh, where, you know, if, if they're speeding this particular speed, you only reduce it to this. Mm-hmm. Or if it's this particular charge, you won't, you can't reduce it at all or this sort of thing. And so, um, and, and I kind of believe, I have a similar belief as far as, you know, it takes good people. You know, an office is only as good as its people. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, and so, um, sure, there were maybe some folks that wouldn't have worked with me um, when I was assistant DA if if I had that say. And that's that's one of the things now that, that I do have that ability is to kind of mold and, and make my own staff. And But I will tell you, uh, one of the things that I am blessed with, though, is a, a really great staff. I inherited a lot of good people in my office, and uh, there's been a little bit of turnover. We've um, we actually had three vacant DA positions or assistant DA positions in our office, and uh, they had been sitting vacant. And you know, we were operating essentially at seventy five percent capacity. And so I thought that was very important to go ahead. And one of the first things I did is to bring folks in and to fill those positions. Yeah. Um, why would we not fill those positions? And uh, and so I had the the ability to go ahead and make an early imprint on the office by bringing in folks that shared my beliefs and um, were eager to come in and, and make a change in the community. And uh, so that was a huge advantage i think coming in is is having the ability to go ahead and and bring in folks that, that shared our values oh yeah good deal. Yeah, it's good yeah i'll tell you, you know, on the da side with the new officers you, you guys are, are great but it took about five years i think for the new officers to get the understanding of a defense attorney because mm-hmm. you know to them why in the world would they you know well assist? The, with the new officers it's like um, why would he represent this guy that's got this lady's throat? Right. You know, stuff like that. And I think that um, it's a good go-between to have a good DA to, to help mold these officers. This is what you this is what you're coming in. This is what you're coming into. This is what's going to happen. And it's just, I think it's a good deal that you have that. Yeah, one of the things that I kind of enjoy the most about this job um, I'd love to be in court more, and there are a couple cases um, that I've that I'm personally invested in, and I will try as your district attorney. Um, that mean a lot to me. Uh, I won't talk about those cases tonight because ethically I can't. But um, but I think it's important for the people of Gaston County to see their district attorney in the courtroom. I think it's important for 
the employees that I have to see me in the trenches fighting along with them. Right. Um, but I will tell you, one of the things that I enjoy the most is the ability to kind of mentor our younger attorneys and to grow them. But not not just the attorneys. One of the things I enjoyed as an ADA um, that's carried on to, into the role now as district attorney is the ability to work with the BLAT community. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, they do one of the last trainings or last courses that they do as part of the BLAT training is to have the officers come up into the courtroom and, um, and then go through some mock situations. I'm sure you guys oh, remember yeah, doing that. Oh yeah, definitely. Back yeah. in 1986. 1986. <laughs> yep. And, uh, and from my experience the they'll come up with the most you know, random and the cases that you'll never see, uh, in an actual courtroom, but all these weird fact patterns are almost like law professors in the way that they'll give you the most odd scenarios and have you testify, but it keeps it interesting for us as lawyers. But, um, but I'll tell, you know, the thing that I love is having the ability to talk to the young officers and say, look, the, the one thing that matters more than anything is your credibility Mm -hmm. and your integrity. Exactly. And, you know, once your name is gone, um, you can't get it back. No. And and so there is no case that is worth your integrity, your honesty, your reputation for truthfulness. And, and so, and and that's one of the things that's kind of been an emerging trend in in law enforcement and also in the, in the prosecution, the legal community, it's Giglio, that whole thing. And so um, that's one of the things that I've seen, you know, statewide as far as a movement for a more uniform Giglio approach, one that's fair to officers. All right. Um, Explain what that is. Okay. So so for the listeners that aren't familiar with Giglio, Giglio is a Supreme Court case, um, and basically uh, U.S. Supreme Court. And and basically it's it's a um, an opinion that says that if we know of evidence that's exculpatory or, or there's officer misconduct that we know of that would impact their – a character for truthfulness, um, then we have to disclose it. And then one of the issues that I think prosecution offices run into is that there are some instances, unfortunately, where there's misconduct that rises to a level where the lawyers or the assistant DAs or the prosecutors don't feel like they can rehabilitate that officer's credibility. And so um, there's been a lot of movement um and and what happens is, you know, these officers are are told that, um, you know, we can't re- rehabilitate your credibility as a witness, and so we can't use you anymore in court. And that could they call it the death letter when you send yeah. a giglio letter, call and, a letter, and and your career as an officer is is done. Yeah. And so, um, there's been a lot of movement, I think, nationwide and also statewide to come up with more uniform policies, um as far as Giglio and, and ones that would incorporate both the rights of the defendant to receive, you know, exculpatory evidence that as required by the constitution. Um, but then also to kind of give officers a, a due process opportunity to be heard on, on a decision like that, because with the stroke of a pen, a prosecutor can, can effectively end a, a law enforcement officer's career. Right. And, uh, and and that's one way of framing it, but you know it also it also goes back to the conduct that necessitated that decision. Yeah. But um, but no, one of the things since I've I've taken office, 
that our state conference of district attorneys has done and working with the PBA and other folks is we've pretty much put forth a model Giglio policy. And uh, uh, it's something that I'm very happy that our office has adopted as well. And so we'll be sharing that with the chiefs uh, here in Gaston County, the various agencies and, and educating them on that as well. That's cool, man. Yeah, I wonder if I'll filter down to the um, BLET classes where they'll. It should. Yeah, yeah. I think it should. Yeah, yeah, I think it would. Yeah, yeah I think so. I, I mean, uh, I think it's important to stress to our officers, you know, from the day one, how important their, their credibility, their character, that sort of thing is. And, you know, there's never been a more difficult time to – to be a law enforcement officer, if you ask me. Oh, yeah. Gosh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. True. yeah. I get asked probably weekly, you know, would you do it again? If I go back to 1986, I would, but I would not do it now. Yeah, I wouldn't either. And I'd say the same thing for prosecutors as well, um, because there is a lot of attention being put upon prosecutors and law enforcement officers, um, a lot of pressure from the public, and, and some of it maybe do. But a lot of it unjustified as well. Um, but I think um, there's never been a more desire for transparent and open um, courthouse and, and court proceedings and that sort of thing. Um, and that, you know, one of the things that kind of drew me back into looking at being district attorney over the past nine years was really looking at the conversation that had taken place nationwide over the past couple of years. And yeah. And, you know, we have a lot of really good police officers mm-hmm. um, that do a lot of good things for our community, and it's not being talked about. Right, exactly. And uh, we've got to, we've got to, you know, we need to criticize, and when, when things go wrong, we, we don't need to be afraid to speak up and say, yeah, that's wrong. But at the same time, we need to praise officers uh, when they're doing the right thing and, and when they're serving their communities. Yep, I agree, yeah. I agree, yeah. I, yeah. I think nationally. Yeah. Definitely. Call it like it is. Yeah. That's exactly. the way I see it. I'll tell you one thing. Chief Salt, one of our chiefs, came out of McBurk County. Uh, he, had a, he had a phrase he always used, a black-hearted mistake. You know, if you don't, if it's not a black-hearted mistake, you know, if, if it's not with intent, generally we can fix it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, time to time, I, I'm sure you see it in the DA's level, you know, officer just simply makes a mistake mm-hmm. and how that, that affects certain things. Yeah, that's true. Um. Yeah, looking out in the community, I think there's a huge desire for accountability. But it's not just for law enforcement officers, but it's also for defendants. I think folks want to see folks held accountable for for breaking the law. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I'm glad to hear you say that, Travis. Definitely. Yep. And um, and that's one of the things that that brought me back to it. And and so I, I really think that if we're going to make a difference in this community too, as well, it, and it takes place in the homes of, of folks here in Gaston County. It does. I, I got a question for you, yes, sir. Um, it's going to kind of digress a little bit, but how in the world did you go get the DA's job? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you was in, you was in private practice, right? Then you got making a lot of money to do that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Then you got a call or something to by the governor of North Carolina. Absolutely. So that's a very fair question. And uh, so it, it really goes back to um, our prede- my predecessor was uh, putting it out there that he was looking to retire. Mm-hmm. And um, and I actually went and spoke with him and said, look, um, you know, I don't 
you know, in the process, let me be clear for the listeners out there in North Carolina, um, when a district attorney retires before the end of his term uh, or her term, uh, the governor appoints the replacement. Okay. And so, and that replacement serves out the rest or the remainder of that prior DA's term. Right. And so, uh, my predecessor was looking to retire, and it was getting out there kind of amongst the legal community that that was taking place. And so I went and approached him and, and talked to him. And um, and basically the conversation that was that someone else was – he had someone else in mind for the job. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the door was shut, or, or so I thought. And I uh, talked to some other folks, and it really seemed that, you know, if I, if I wanted to be district attorney of Gaston County, I was just going to have to run for it. And right. win. Yeah. And so um thought about that, thought about what that might put my family through and that sort of thing. And so getting into the spring of, of two thousand twenty one, um, you know, I was basically firmly committed to staying in private practice. Mm-hmm. And uh it's funny, I was actually out on a trip to Las Vegas for March Madness and uh with some friends of mine from college and I was at the the airport there uh, McCarran Airport there in Las Vegas, and I, I got a phone call and, uh, from a individual, and they said, you know, if you have some interest in being district attorney, the governor's office would would like to hear from you. And I said, well. But that was a shock, wasn't it? <laughs> well, it, it was a shock. And, and, and Governor Cooper is a Democrat, yeah, and I'm a Republican. Yeah. And so, um, you know, what chance do you have of getting a, an appointment as a Republican from a Democrat in today's environment, you know, I would think slim to none. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And so, uh, you know, I had a phone call with the governor's staff and we talked for a little bit. And, uh, then I spoke with folks here in the community, a select group of folks. And what I found is I actually had a lot more support than I could have ever imagined. And it was from both sides of the aisle. And it's rare that you find oh, yeah. <laughs> Republicans, conservative Republicans here in Gaston County agreeing with, with folks on the other side of the aisle. Right. Yeah. And uh and vice versa. I mean, that's just the the day and the age that we live in these days. And uh and so anyways we we uh started considering that. My wife and I talked about it and I sent a resume and a cover letter to to the governor's mansion. Oh, wow. And uh, heard nothing for about a month, wondering, you know, am I, you know, did it end up in a trash can? Yeah, yeah. Did it get there? And, uh, you know, I haven't heard anything. And then finally got a request for an interview and interviewed over the telephone with Governor Cooper. And um, I felt like I knocked that interview out of the park. I went uh, and I was up up front with my my uh, my coworkers and my partners there at the firm, Doug and, and Ann Brenton Green. They knew everything that I was doing, mm-hmm. and um, I went into Doug's office and I told him that I knocked the interview out of the park. I felt that that confident about it, yeah. And um, and sure enough, um, I think it was maybe towards the end of June. I got a call from Governor Cooper. I think it was a Monday, asking me if I wanted to be district attorney in Gaston County. So it was Monday at two forty-five <laughs> thirty-six seconds. Yeah, how long did well, it that's take? pretty cool. How long did it take you to answer that question? Uh, I think maybe a half a second. Yeah. Now, it felt like it took less to wind down a practice. And so 
that, gosh, that was the worst part of the whole ordeal, really. It wasn't the, yeah. the waiting and the pins and needles or anything like that. I knew I was in a great, you know, if I if I didn't get the appointment, I was in a great place working with great people. Um, had a wife and kids that loved me. You know, they were worst problems to have in the world. Um, but I had to wind down a practice in, in about 30 days. Boy, and, I bet uh, that was tough. That was the worst. I would never do that again. <laughs> I would go and push shopping carts <laughs> at the food line the food and boom. Line. At the Walmart. Yeah, absolutely. In the wintertime. In the wintertime with no coat before I did that again. Um, but, no, I we, we got the practice wound down, or at least my portion of it, and uh, I was able to, to get sworn in August 2nd. So I've been your district attorney here in Gaston County since then. Well, good, man. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, as much as I'd like to think of myself, uh, my son actually stole the the show there, my swearing in. Um, <laughs> you guys familiar with uh, candy cigarettes? or oh, They may oh, call yeah. them candy oh, yeah. sticks now. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, So I grew up with candy cigarettes. And, yeah, we did too. Yeah, oh, yeah. My grandpa would even light them for us. You know, <laughs> really? Play cowboys. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so – um, I've introduced my son again, he's three. I've introduced him to, to, to candy cigarettes, but, um, and so, you know, you think about it, it's actually a pretty good treat to give a kid, uh, when you're in church or something like that, you know, not considering that's a candy <laughs> cigarette, but, uh, if you think about the candy itself, it's not messy. It doesn't yeah. stain or True. anything like that. And so, um, that's what my, my kids were given while I was getting sworn in by judge David Phillips. And sure enough, I'm, I've got my left hand on the Bible, my right hand raised, and there's my son standing between my le- my legs with his uh, candy cigarette showing off. <laughs> that's, so, that's funny. Yeah. That's a great story. So that's again, funny. when I say earlier that I might be prosecuting him, it'll <laughs> go back to day one. Uh, but uh, and I think even he he crumpled up his box there and threw it there at my feet. Yeah. <laughs> so um, in defiance. Yeah. He didn't, he, didn't have, he didn't have the box rolled yes. up in the shorts. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky strike. He hasn't learned that yet. Let's, let's hope. Uh, let's hope he never learns. Showed that. up in a wife beater. <laughs> What's up, Bob? He started wearing those now. Oh, so, oh gosh, yeah, it's hilarious. But that's funny. Um, but no, so took office August second, and um, you know it's been everything I thought it could be and more, and. I, I don't want to downplay all the cases that I worked on over the past nine years um, because those cases meant something and they meant the world to my clients and they meant the world to me when I was representing them. Uh, but in the grand scheme of things, it really feels nice to come to work each day feeling like what you do really matters. Yeah, it makes that, a difference. That you're making a, a difference in the community or at least trying to. You're trying to make the the county a better place for your kids. Yeah. And so – that's what I love about that job. That's good, yeah. man. Yeah, very good yeah. deal. Well, I was a good judge at swore you in David Phillips, though. Oh, oh yeah. I, I tell you, I got two quick David Phillips stories. We're in we're in Superior Court, a big drug case. And in his closing arguments, David Phillips called me a double knot spy. A double knot spy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he came over afterwards. He, and he said, I, you know, I hope you didn't get mad. I said, no, I kind of sat in my seat, man. I kind of, that was a little special. <laughs> But when you had a case with him, though, even though he might have been a defense attorney, he didn't, you know, beat you up or nothing like that. He was just smooth oh, operator, respectful. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. one of the new guys, talking the new officers, asked him one day, says, "How do you sleep at night?" David looked at him and seriously, uh, seriously good news in a very expensive bed. <laughs> <laughs> Not a bed made of money, yes, sir. <laughs> well, his dad was a judge. 
His dad was a fine judge yeah. from what I hear. I never had the, the privilege of appearing in front of him, but I hear that David is a lot like his father on the bench. And so I, I think it, that's a compliment. Oh, yeah. I think I had appeared before and went on a speeding ticket. Was well, you the defendant? Yeah. He <laughs> <laughs> gave me a break. <laughs> Can we talk? I'm sorry. <laughs> he told me never do it again, son. Uh, if you don't mind, we got some questions. Some of the listeners wants us to ask you. Let me Absolutely. Get, let me get my specs on, boys. Hang on. Our community glasses. Yeah, I look real old now. Uh, one of the questions is: Is what is your position on prosecuting an offender for the death penalty? Well, a good lawyer always likes to respond to a question with a question. So, let me ask you this: um, Uh oh, is the death penalty still the law in North Carolina? Yes. All right. Did I take an oath to uphold the law in North Carolina? Yes. Okay. So, um, and, and this is a, a change in policy from from our predecessor, but um, I will pursue the death penalty. And and I think the follow up question that your listener might have was, well, what kind of cases would you would you prosecute? Exactly. And uh, you kill a police officer, you kill a small child. Um, you know, the legislature kind of puts it out there what aggravating factors would qualify for the penalty of death, the ultimate penalty. And uh, those are two of them, you know, something very egregious and harmful, um, outrageous. And, um, and and killing a police officer, I think, rises to that occasion. And it's actually one of those express uh, factors. And so, you know, I know we've got one of those cases pending right now, and, and I can't talk about it. Um but a decision was made before I took office, and um, um, I regret that decision. Well, that's something out of your control back then. Like you said, there's nothing you can do about it now. Just yeah. go on with it. But. Yeah. But um, I pray that I never have to make that decision. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. You know, it's one of those things. And, and I'll tell you, you know, I, I grew up a Christian. I, I'm still a practicing Christian, and – I believe that God has the ability to kind of to mold us, to change us, no matter who we are. If you take the Apostle Paul, for example. And I, just for note, he keeps looking, he's looking at Helm Dog when he's talking about this. <laughs> you in church, Helm Dog. Yeah, I'm, preaching, I'm preaching to you. Hell the hey, brother, you you demon. Let me have it. Get that handkerchief out. <laughs> Don't climb that ceiling. But, but no, take the Apostle Paul, for example. And uh, that dude was a murderer. He led the stoning of one of Christ's disciples. And, uh, and God still found a way to use him. And so um, as a Christian, you know, I, you know, even the worst folks that we deal with, I think God could still use. But I took an oath to uphold the law. And uh, and so that's still the, the law. And, and I think the people of Gaston County kind of deserve to make that decision. I, I agree. Yeah. Another question I have is, uh, well, from the listeners, it says, do you believe offenders should be prosecuted for assault on law enforcement officer? That's sort of a, you know, do you believe offenders should be prosecuted for assaulting a law enforcement officer? Did they break the law? Absolutely. If they <laughs> saw it, I mean, that's, that's yeah. sort of an easy one. But, hey, Mr. Yeah. Day, we, we asked the questions around here. <laughs> <laughs> you were in their court. Yeah. That's not a <laughs> That's right. <laughs> hey, hell no, you the judge. Where's that? Yeah. <laughs> but no, I, and I've actually asked the folks, especially in district court, where you see that, that class A1 misdemeanor assault. And, and I've also talked with my felony DAs about it, too, and uh, we need to make those cases a priority. You know, those folks risk their lives. And the last thing that I want is another officer um, getting assaulted or, or even even worse on my watch. 
as the we, but you know on, on our level law enforcement level we, you know we we talk to the officers and we i try to get my guys oh did i tell you i was a sergeant oh my god <laughs> there we go again but i try to get my guys you know let's not get overboard on this assault thing you know if just let's call somebody puts their hands on you or you know brushes against you you know, I, I didn't. I wouldn't want to be an officer coming to the to your office all the time. You look every other month, yeah. saw an officer, saw an officer. You know what I'm saying? You're the sergeant that cried wolf at that point. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So it's trying to stay the guys. You know, it's okay if you're assaulted, you're assaulted. But you know, it's, come on, let's not definitely assault, not yeah. just brushing up on anything like that. Yeah, and I've heard the stories of folks, you know, officers fighting with folks and you know getting some saliva or, or, or blood on them and, and wanting to charge them with assault or something like that and. You know, you can do that. <laughs> um, we didn't do that. I've never, I've never seen that, and I'll be clear, I've never seen that, at, but I've, I've heard stories like that, and folks like to exaggerate and tell stories and that sort of thing, and that would be uh, that would that would be pretty egregious if you ask me, but um, and, and kind of an abuse of power as far as charging that, but, um, you know, a lot of the problems that we're seeing, a lot of those could be easily resolved with polite encounters. You know, you yeah. ask for identification, identification is produced, you know, and, and that sort of thing. And folks have constitutional rights, and our officers have to respect those rights. But as far as becoming combative and fighting and those sort of things, you know, we need to discourage that type of behavior um, because it saves lives. Yeah. And, uh, and, and all the things that we've dealt with over the past couple of years – um, you know, you know, you look at those situations and you looking at both sides, they could have easily been avoided, you know? Yeah. Sure. So, do they teach anything at driver's ed? I say driver's ed. I guess they still do that in high school, don't they? Driver's they do. Ed. Yeah. Do they teach a, anything like an hour long class on what to do when you get stopped by a police officer? I also, often wonder, would that help the young people understand what the traffic stop, how to respond to an officer? Something that would be mandatory for them to go through driver's ed, like an hour long session of something that's taught by a police officer. You know, when you know, I went through probably. You know, I wouldn't. I don't. I don't want to guess how how much of a time difference it was. Oh, it's a day. lot. Oh, yeah. Here, here but, we go. But, the old guy story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we had cars. Hey, we had cars. Yeah. But um, but the world was black and white back then. Yeah, that, color. that is true. We didn't no have color. a color TV. Or yeah, you either had the black Chevy or the white Chevy. We had TV dinners. Yeah. But <laughs> but uh, no, going back to um, the driver's ed and charitable, and no, there was no conversation ever about that. And it's a good and, point, B Dub. That's a great point, actually. And and from the perspective of a law enforcement officer. You know, those are the, some of the most dangerous situations that you put yourselves into. You're walking up to the side of a car of someone you don't know. Oh, yeah. You don't know what they have in the car with them. Yeah, know? I thought maybe if, if the students could see from perspective of a law enforcement officer, show the video, what we see when we go up. Mm-hmm. Don't nobody steal this now. Look at everybody looking at me. <laughs> I'm taking notes. Yeah. Slow ride's going to be coming up with a block of instruction. Here, but, <laughs> but I think it'd be good for them to see it from our perspective, to talk to them, yeah. and show them what needs to happen when we stop you you can go to court and and argue your facts you don't need to argue it on the side of the road just just oh, go to court if exactly you, what i taught my young and well there you go but yeah. i just think that it would help them to understand what we see you know it happens so fast yeah 
And, you know, like jumping out of a vehicle on a stop. Just stay in your car and listen to us. Yeah, I think so much in society today, and maybe it's social media and, and the cable news and, and the desire to have an instant decision and instant news and, oh, yeah. you know, instant judgment on everything. Um, we've forgotten that we're a nation of laws and that there's due process, and, and we actually have a system for airing your grievances. And, yes. uh, um, and it's not on the side of the road. Yeah, well, it, I do have a scenario for you. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Oh, Jesus. True story. Off the heels of last week's podcast. Okay. You're Mr. DA. You're not talking about Bigfoot, are you? No, I'm talking about the Big Gulp. Good. Oh, Big Gulp. (laughs) (laughs) We had an officer. He's he's Lieutenant Silva PD now. Uh, You're DA. You're looking at at this charge. He's running. He's a toxicology operator. He steps out of the room, steps back in. The bad guy's sitting there, and as the officer walks back in, into the room, he, now it's a Friday or Saturday night. He's the only toxicologist there, and he's going to be there for a while. Mm-hmm. He has a big gulp. <laughs> and as he walks into into the um, – he had to a podcast how Bruce talks about him. He's going to, really, going to really enjoy his big gulp. He's waiting to enjoy it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he walks in, and the arrestee is drinking from his big gulp. He charges him with larceny. <laughs> that was creative. <laughs> so if you're sitting there looking <laughs> at this larceny as, charge. As the DA. As the DA, yeah. what, was your, what would be your thought process? <laughs> Make him pay for and the you, big Hey, hey Bruce, yeah. Bruce is a great guy. You can be honest. Yeah. All right. You got 75 cents on you? Yeah. Okay. Pull that out, <laughs> was, was this a QT? <laughs> 35 cent drink. It's, it's okay. a true story. Bruce told it yeah. last week. Yeah. Restitution. Just pay it and get out of here. No, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I do believe in a little bit of grace and mercy. So. <laughs> yeah. He was mad about that. Oh, he was. He got he worked was. up talking about yeah, it. Yeah, he sure did. Well, let me get through a few more questions. I know uh, Slow Ride's looking at me. I'm, I'm trying to go through this. What are your thoughts about the Second Amendment? Oh, um, you know, it's second for a reason. Um, our founders obviously thought it was important to put that in there. And if you know your history, you know why. Um, and if you're watching what's happening in Ukraine right now, definitely, where the government is having to hand out rifles and hand out weapons to their citizens, you know why we have a Second Amendment. And so if you can't believe in the Second Amendment, you're not paying attention to what's happening across our country right, or across the world right now. True, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Now, like any... You, you look at the First Amendment. The First Amendment, I, I would say, was first for a reason. But even the First Amendment, um, and I, I would argue with folks about this. I was always a kind of a Justice Hugo Black fan when it came to the First Amendment because um, he said no means no. And uh, But what our courts have said over the years is that we can regulate the First Amendment and freedom of speech, time, place, manner, that sort of thing. And uh, so there have been limitations put on the right to bear arms. And I think some of those limitations are good. Yeah, like if you're a convicted felon. You're a convicted felon. You've used a firearm to harm someone. Correct. I don't think you should you should have that. Exactly. I don't think you should be walking around with a, an AR-15 or uh, if you're a convicted felon. Oh, I agree and with you. Yeah. you've put folks in danger. You've committed domestic violence. You know, the, there are federal laws that will restrict the ability of, of someone who's who's committed an act of DV uh, to um, to possess a farm. Well, that person or defendant took his own right away. Right. We didn't take it away. He took it away. They yes. made a choice. So all, he, he made a choice. Yeah. They made Everybody a choice. Everybody knows that, so he knows that. And gets uh, back to accountability and consequences for actions. Well, i got about three more left. Uh, 
Can you talk about the about your plans to get the our court system back on track following the delays uh, caused by COVID? Trying to get back on speed on after COVID. Absolutely, and and I think this is a good opportunity to really brag on Gaston County and what's been done. Um, you know, there's a group that's called AOC, the Administrative Office of the Courts, that kind of runs the court system in North Carolina. Not AOC in Congress, right? No, no, not to be confused with that. Everybody's looking at each other. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, we're going to call this the Administrative Office of the Courts. Let's clear that up. We might talk for two hours tonight to avoid that abbreviation. But but no, so they're basically the administrative body that oversees the court system in, in North Carolina. And they came to Gaston County recently and met with me. Uh, Judge Phillips, uh, Judge Greenlee, our chief district court judge, Roxanne Rankin, our clerk of court, and uh, and they bragged on us. And we've been able in Gaston County to keep our courts open, to keep cases moving along. Um, one area where we haven't moved cases along is, is really with jury trials, which that's been consistent throughout the state. Um, but we have resumed those since I took office. Uh, we've been trying cases um you know, we've been moving around chairs in a courtroom and folks have worn masks and that sort of thing. But we've managed to try cases and keep our courts moving. And so we have a constitutional obligation to keep our courts open. You know, the, the folks in Gaston County have a constitutional right to have access to our court system. And so we've taken that seriously and, and we've made that a priority and we've kept our courts open. Yeah, um, you know, other counties... Um, throughout the state have closed down their courts. So you have some uh, courthouses where the clerk refuses to send a clerk to the courtroom to hear a case because of COVID. And uh, those counties are dealing with huge backlogs right now. But um, I will tell you, we're going to try our first murder case in, in over two years. Oh, geez. Uh, coming up wow. here this month in March. And so oh, wow. we're resuming murder trials. And, and, you know, it's business back to usual that, but really, business always kept going through COVID, um, with maybe the exception of a one or two month spell before I took office. But but since August, we've been full steam ahead. How come y'all looking at me because I'm been over a coffin? What? Because you're gonna get everybody <laughs> sick. <laughs> I don't have it. Go ahead. I'm sorry, there, hound dog. No. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I forgot now. Well, no, I, you was, I, was, I was thinking about you coughing. Well, I'm not coughing now. But. Go ahead. Yeah, you got a puddle on the floor, even stuff. Even no, I don't. <laughs> but I will, and, and let me add another thing too. Uh, so, one of the areas that I've kind of tried to focus on, and it gets back to the COVID backlog and and that sort of thing, uh, is in district court. I really wanted to focus on district court. That's where most of our cases come through here in Gaston County. It's where most of your officers, if you were sitting around in court. That's where you sat was in oh, district yeah. court. Oh yeah, Absolutely. and so as an assistant DA, I always try to be mindful of officers' time because I've, you know, you'd have an officer had worked all night. Now they're having to come into court. Oh. They want to be there and they want to get get out of there as soon as possible and go home, go to bed. Exactly, and get ready for the work the next night. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And so always try to be considerate of that and 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 keep officers informed of, of what they were doing and, and try to be efficient, keep things moving. We don't want to sit around and do nothing. Um, I like to work and I like to, you know, to keep things moving. I don't want to sit around and twiddle my thumbs. And so uh, one of the things I did, you know, I mentioned hiring three new prosecutors. Well, we've doubled the amount of assistant DAs that you have in each of your courtrooms in district court. And it used to be only be one ADA yeah. in there. 
we've got two in there now. And so no, that's true. Really? So one's talking to lawyers and getting pleas ready, and the other one's talking to the judge and running those pleas. And so we try to keep things moving. Um, eventually, I want folks to refer to Gaston County as the rocket docket. Oh, cool. That's cool. And so, well, that's changed since I went to court in 1986. Yeah. You went to court? 1986. What was you charged with? <laughs> As a defendant? Yeah, he's charged with something. David Phillips represents you. I played fifth. But, <laughs> but no, I, I mean, that's one of the things you talk about the experience of being in private practice and how that relates to being a DA. And, and as far as the perspective, well, when I was in private practice, I charged for my time. You're not doing that now, are you? No. Okay. No, right. no, 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 How much is just three hundred dollars an hour? I, the state would be broke if I was charging for my. No, time. I'm talking about here. Talking about right now. Oh, yeah. Podcast. We're broke. <laughs> we can pay in liquor. We can tell you about the donate button. <laughs> we got a vault over there. <laughs> but uh, but no, um, but no, that's the one thing you value your time, and and that's the one thing that Doug Arthur's taught me too. He gave me a an Abraham Lincoln article that that Olana Stabe had written, and really the only commodity that a lawyer has to offer is his time and so um, you learn to value your time when you're in private practice and so i always try to be considerate of that when i was an assistant da but now as a da when i have the chance to kind of implement policies and 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 change the direction of the courthouse and and what we do and kind of a chief administrator type role i want things to move i don't want to waste people's time you know you talk to the folks that head our departments here in Gaston County, they're talking about staff shortages. And uh, when I've got an officer there in court, he's not out there on the road. And uh, one of the things that I did right after taking office, how many of you guys ever had to testify in grand jury? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We just line up in the hallway and yeah. wait your turn. Yep. Bet you hated it, too. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you rush up there at 7 o'clock in the morning. Sign your name on Yeah, side. you try to get in there. Get on the list. You want to get there early. You want to get there early. You wanted to get there before City of Gastonia or the county. <laughs> yeah. Because they'd have 200 cases, and you'd <laughs> yeah. have, you might have one or two yeah. if you're from Cherival or somewhere, or Low or Bessemer City. But um, so one of the things that I noticed in nine years of being in private practice, I'd come out there and I'd see the same officer sitting on that hard bench out there on the fourth floor. And I'd go into 4B, I'd handle my civil matters, and I'd come out maybe two or three hours later. And I'd still see Mark Stout there from Terrible PD. Or I'd still see you know, Derek Terry from Mount Holly or Definitely. someone. And um, and I'd be like, you know, why are you guys still doing out here? We're waiting on a grand jury. Like, don't y'all have cases to work? And like, yeah, but we're here for grand jury. And so one of the things that we did, and it really didn't take much effort on our part. It was just some organization. We said, all right, you've got so many cases. We're going to kind of allot you or guess that you'll take maybe two minutes per case or whatever it is. And um, we're going to give you an appointment at a time. Here's a time slot. You, you show up at this time. And so there's no longer the mad rush, 7 o'clock to sign up for that. Um, you're probably in and out within 20 minutes. As well, that's pretty to, cool, yeah. As opposed to four hours oh, or yeah. something like that. So Tripping each other so you wouldn't get there first. Yeah. <laughs> Fighting each other, you know. Yeah. Get out of there. Yeah, but, but no, it's just looking, identifying a problem, finding a way that you can make it better. Oh, I like that. Yeah, and so Definitely. that's kind of what we're doing, you know, one day at a time. You know, where are things that we can get better and improve? And then... It's one of the things I did as, as DA as soon as I took office. I went around to different law enforcement departments, met with the leadership, the brass, and said, all right, what do we do well? And what do we what do we stink at? Where mm-hmm. can we get better? You know, and um, 
I think it's important to kind of listen. And uh, if you're going to be a leader, and uh, that's, that's right, thing slow ride, listen. That's right. <laughs> you lead from the front. That's you know, Travis. That's what I like about you, man. It seems to be seems to me that you are leading from the front. Yeah, and I can appreciate the heck out of that. Yeah, well, I appreciate awesome. that. But I think being a good leader again is listening and and you know seeing where there's a problem. Yep. All right, I got one or two more questions. Let me get my glasses back. You on. said that an hour ago. I look dorky with these things on. Y'all looking at me look like look like an idiot. You do. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> How important do you do you believe it is to uh, prosecute DWI and domestic violent cases? And then we got one more question, and we'll be done with the questions. All right. So I'll, I'll tell you, kind of the whole the thing that I've seen in my 38 short years that I've had um, is that every kind of problem starts at home. All right. And uh, what we're learning is that kids that grow up in environments where there's drug abuse or there's violence are more likely to resort to those behaviors when they grow up as adults. And if we work to stop that type of behavior now, we can make a generational change that can improve this county for generations, a lasting change, a lasting impact. impact that, and so... Um, when it comes to DWIs, I want my kids to, to be able to – I want to take my kids to school not having to worry about a drunk driver hitting us. Um, I want um, I want our streets to be safe. And so DWIs have been a, a huge priority for me. Um, when I was an assistant DA, they are that way now. And one of the things that I've done to kind of um, combat those in district court – is I've brought in a district court supervisor to oversee district court. I've doubled the amount of prosecutors again that we have in our district court courtrooms. And then I've doubled the amount of support staff that we have. Um, I've got one um, new uh, legal assistant that just uh, joined us from the clerk's office, Brandy Davis, uh, Stanley girl. who was very passionate about DWIs and uh, we're putting her along with a couple other prosecutors in charge of managing those DWIs. And, uh, makes me want to go back to court. I go back. Yeah. Makes me want, not want to drink. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, this might drink just need to be the badges. Drink the badges podcast. Yeah, the badge. Yeah. As long as you're responsible. Badges and sweet tea podcast. But, uh, yeah, and, and we do not advocate drinking and driving. Yeah, we always. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah. uh, we're going to get you if you do. But uh, as far as getting back to domestic violence, you know, I think that's one area that, um, there hasn't been a whole lot of focus, at least from my office, in the past before taking office. And so um, I want to move that to the forefront. And one of the things that we're looking at pursuing a grant opportunity is to actually have a, a courtroom here in the Gaston County Courthouse that is dedicated exclusively to domestic violence. And so um, there are other jurisdictions that have taken that approach and uh, we're working on that. We're working on some additional training for our law enforcement officers um, so that we can have better reports and, and better investigations on DV. And the worst thing is, you know, and you know this, you'd go out to the same house over and over, mm-hmm. and the victim in a domestic violence case wouldn't show up for court, wouldn't want to prosecute. That's the yeah. biggest thing. The most frustrating thing that I've seen is, you know, a lack of or a willingness to, to follow through. Um, and so we're kind of working to change that. We've got the sheriff's office. We've got Hope United. We've 
we're utilizing them and their resources to make it easier for folks to come to court. Um, and, uh, we're really trying to tap into that. And there's a lot of folks I think that are hungry for change in this community when it comes to domestic violence and they want to see it taken seriously. And, um, and it's not just for the victims of domestic violence. You know, think about it. If a man puts his hands around a woman's throat, not only is he more likely to kill her, but he's actually more likely to use force against a law enforcement officer. Very true. And yeah, uh, most of the times when you go to domestic <clears throat> violence, those are the worst calls to go to. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. There's already violence. They're, they're the deadliest calls that we see. And so if we put a little more effort into the front end of it, hopefully we can make things safer for our officers, for our survivors, all those folks on the back end. And we'll see some dividends, and hopefully we can stop the cycle too. When you talk about kids growing up in that home, we can stop it right now. Hopefully, we can make a dent in it in the future. Yeah, well, sounds good to me. Yeah. Final question: uh, You have spoken about uh, finding ways to help our veterans, such as starting a veterans treatment court. Can you give some details about your plans? Absolutely. And so, um, I had one particular client when I was in private practice that I represented on some criminal charges, former law enforcement officer, uh, former veteran. And uh, it was a, a DV situation and uh, a very bad situation. But one of the things that we ran into and one of the things that I told uh, Judge Michael Lands uh, when we were in court that day is just how the lack of resources, our folks come home from serving this country and then we basically throw them to the wolves. And uh, we don't provide resources. We don't provide treatment, counseling, therapy. We don't help them. And um, and then we expect them to to just do like everyone else does. That and so just forget everything that you've you've seen or witnessed in Iraq or Afghanistan and 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 be normal. We expect that. And so to me, that's unacceptable. And and I think it's really come to the forefront here recently since I've taken office. The need. Uh, for some type of veterans treatment court here in Gaston County. And I really think there's some momentum for that. And uh, as far as specifically, we would be looking for a dedicated courtroom. Um, it wouldn't be probably a Monday through Friday uh, thing, but we'd have maybe a couple days a week or several days a month where we specialize and we bring veterans in who have broken the law and uh, most likely nonviolent offenses uh, where we have, you know, the larcenies or the thefts or the drug offenses, the substance abuse issues, or folks that are medicating uh, to deal with the the things that they saw overseas, and uh, we basically connect. You know, court can be a tool, uh, a tool to to fix problems in society. I, I think a lot of people don't really see it that way, but I do, and. Um, we can use court to connect these veterans to the resources that they need. There's a lot of folks out there that are willing to help our veterans, but they're just not being connected to those resources. And so as part of a plea or a deferred prosecution, if we can connect them to those services and the treatment that they need, then let's do it. Why wouldn't we do it? These folks are willing to risk everything that they uh, they have for our freedom, yeah. for our liberty. Why wouldn't we try to help them? Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with that. Yep. Well, Travis Page, I'll definitely say this. You're the DA for a reason. I yeah, agree. A lot of great and, – and really didn't know a lot about you coming in. Mm-hmm. You know, we just yeah. met, uh, what, a month or so ago. And and uh, other than Jeff Wooten was on here a while back, and he spoke very highly of you. Yeah. 
And yeah, but uh, man, you on top of things. I, I really appreciate you being on here sharing this with us today. You know, the governor appointed you as the DA for a reason. And I think that reason is well deserved. Definitely. Hey, at the end of the day, I want to be the best thing that Governor Roy Cooper has done. <laughs> oh, <laughs> And, and that's and that's no statement about everything else that he's done, uh, good or bad. But but no, that that's that's I think where I strive to be. I think he's done a hell of a job. Yeah, honestly. And we appreciate you being here sharing yeah. with us. In well, a short time span, you've done a good job. Oh yeah, well, very short. Time. I appreciate that. I'm going to be asking for another four year term here. I'm 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 serving out the rest of Mr. Bell's term to the end of 2022, and I'll be on the ticket here. Uh, I fought as a re- conservative Republican here in Gaston County. Got about what sixteen hours or so before uh, the filing deadline is up, and um, but anyways, I hope to earn your support. If you want to learn more about me, you can check out my website. It's travispageda.com, uh, or feel free to come and, and meet with me. And, uh, and so, yeah, you're definitely down to earth, brother. I mean, definitely. it shows that just being on our podcast. We really do appreciate you being here. With you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, the when we first talked about you coming on the podcast a couple months ago. Um, you said I would love to do it. The only reason I won't do it if I get a murder and I have to go to a murder. That's right. All right. In my thirty years of law enforcement experience, you're the second DA that I've ever known to be available to go out and do a, uh, you know, in the field, so to speak. On scene. Yeah. On yeah. scene. On scene. And I and I man. As an investigator, I'd love to have that resource. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and that's the way I kind of see it. You know, you know, folks. Uh, I think folks tend to look solely at the prosecutor as trying cases and, and running cases through the court system. Yeah. Um, but our, our legislature and our law puts it that that's not the only responsibility that a district attorney has. It's also yeah. to be a resource for law enforcement, yeah. Yeah. Um, to give advice and that sort of thing. And um, that's one of the things I see it also. I mean, I think it helps prosecutors to get at, get out there, get eyes on the scene mm-hmm. Um I stress to the law enforcement folks that I work with um, that it, I don't want to be that guy that's looking over your shoulder telling you doing this wrong or doing that or, or do this and do right. that. Yeah. Um, we're just here. We're present. We want you to know that we're engaged. We're responsive. We're involved. We care. You know, there are three things that I tell my staff that I never want the folks of Gaston County to question about our office. And one, the very first thing is that whether or not we care. You know, you should never leave the courthouse thinking the DA doesn't care about your case. Right. And, and the second thing is our work ethic. You know, you should never say that DA was lazy. Or right. He wouldn't do anything. He wouldn't pick up a file and look at or try a case. And yeah. so uh, that's the second thing that you should never come out of anybody's mouth here in Gaston County that we're not, we're afraid to work. You know, we're just lazy government servants. Again, he's looking at Hound Dog. So well, he asked a question. <laughs> yeah, he asked well, a no, question. Hey, I worked, I, worked, I worked for 30 years. Yeah. And, and, the th- and the last thing is their integrity. That should never be questioned. You can question our, our ability as a trial lawyer or judgment, that sort of thing, but you shouldn't question our integrity or work ethic. You know, whether or not we care about your case. Yep. So. Now he's looking at slow ride. Look at it. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. So I slid down my seat. Hey, how do you know, D.I.? I was a double knot spot. Oh, geez. That's Judge Phillips. Yeah, he was a sergeant. Okay. All that. Okay. Now he's a brass boy. Yeah, brass boy. <laughs> I do have two quick things right quick. Bourbon oh, news. Oh, my, let's have it. Well, everybody knows we, we, we record on Thursday, release a podcast on Monday. Yes. So we released the podcast on the 7th. But today's the third, and it is the 125th anniversary of Bottled and Bond Act. 
Today is? Today, yeah. Uh, 19, uh, 1897 when, when it came into effect. And, yeah, today is the 125th anniversary. Oh, shit. I bought it and bought it. I thought about that after we already decided what we was going to drink. Oh, man. Okay. And uh, and you tell us how often you already seen it, but Uncle Nearest Single Barrels getting released this month. I have not seen it. So look for that. That's, yep. that's to my, my knowledge is they never done a single barrel. They just have the, uh, I think, two or three different offerings, but they, not the single barrel. Travis Page, appreciate you being here. Hey, thanks for having and me. This yeah. is your time, man. You'll give a shout out, a how you do to anybody, whatever you want to do. I want to give a shout out to the fine folks in the Gaston County DA's office. You've been working your tail off the past six months, and uh, we're going to keep doing it for a long time to come, and we're going to really do some great things here in Gaston County. Awesome. Yeah, appreciate it. You got a shout out yourself there, hello? Yeah, the, uh, our, this week's Renegade Pig shout out goes to Union County, good old boys from North Carolina. Yeah, that's some good old, uh, good guys over there. Yeah. Man, that, that chapter has grown. It has. Twofold. It has. Hey, don't forget about our friends at the uh, Black Rifle Training Group, Dylan over at the uh, Don't Tread Podcast, and Law Enforcement Today at lawenforcementtoday.com. They put a podcast on their uh, platform. That's cool. Yeah. yeah they, they're really natural. We certainly appreciate that. All right. And uh, don't forget the, I think B-Dub brought up earlier, don't forget about our donation, but if you'd like the donation to the calls. <laughs> I'm the money guy. Yes, sir. <laughs> Donut. Donate. And if you will, please leave us a positive review uh, and hit that like button. We certainly appreciate any any uh Help we can get. We need a, a lot lost of help. Word. We need a lot of help. <laughs> and uh, be sure you listen to us. You can find us on any listening podcast out there. We're on twenty plus different platforms. You can yep. also uh, check us out at uh, Bourbon and Badges uh, and our own website, Bourbon Badges the, the uh, podcast. You can find us there. Uh, like us on Twitter. Follow us on Facebook. We have a private and a public group. And you can email us at Bourbon and Badges at yahoo.com Absolutely. And don't uh, remember, let's drink about it and drink responsibly. And all you first responders, be safe and get home to your families. Travis Page, thank you for being here, brother. Hey, thank you. Good night. This has been a Studio 77 production.